1: June the 12th, 2018, this episode 2236 of the Survival Podcast. And Tuesday's usually, well, it's usually what we call a Just Jack show, where I take a subject and break it down for you and do something with it. Uh, today I am uh, making final arrangements to go on my vacation, and I will be gone for a week and a half. I will not be returning until June 25th, as far as being on the air. What I decided to do, I got the expert counsel all riled up and got a bunch of material back from them last week early on, and so I did two shows for you. And I'd kicked around doing it on a Wednesday and then doing it or doing on a Friday. And what I ended up deciding was, my vacation, man. I got to get ready to get out of here. I do. It's a lot of work to get out of here. And uh, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this show for you last week, for you now, right? And uh, I'll do a Monday show this week, which I did yesterday for you, but will be Monday for me, which is uh, after the weekend for me. And uh, the rest of everything else other than that Monday show is going to be rewinds. And uh, sorry to do it to you, but I mean, in the end, we all need our vacations. And as I said last week, which is today for me, I need this one. Have I got you confused yet? (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about the expert counsel Q&A that we got going on today. i got one for Doc Bones on Lisinopril. Lisinopril. I guess it is a high blood pressure medication. How you would deal without it in a long-term scenario where you couldn't get it uh, if you had that problem. Uh, question on stabilizing fuel for Charles the Humble Mechanic Sandville. Getting shit done life hacks from the awesome Nicole Awesome Sauce. Uh, making awesome homemade salsa from Keith Snow. So we have some awesome sauce built on an awesome salsa there. Uh, feeding large numbers of people, people on paleo for cheap with Gary Collins. The latest and greatest in rechargeable batteries for Stephen Harris. And uh, I've got a question on 10 millimeter lever guns, and I'll give you a multitude of options uh, for this person's scenario and why I probably wouldn't do what he's asking about, but if what he really wants to do is what he says he wants to do, he can do it. It's just a matter of, do you got enough money and do you want it that bad? We'll get to all of that. We'll straight away, because we got that's what all we got for our intro today. Uh, let's go ahead with Dr. Bones and talk about... Because I think this would apply to any medication or most medications for high blood pressure one way or another uh though they do work a little bit differently so i guess that could change but doc you got a guy with on a high blood pressure medication wants to know if the grid goes down he can't get any more what should he do
2: about it doc take it away hi joe alton md here also known as dr bones of doomandbloom.net where you'll find over a thousand articles videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster I'm also the co-author of the 2017 Book Excellence Award winner in medicine, *The survival medicine handbook, the essential guide for when medical help is not on the way. Also designer of medical kits for everything from family camping trips to medical missions overseas at store.dumumloom.net. This week's question for the expert counsel is from Marcus who writes, How does one wean themselves off of lisnopril in a long-term survival situation i'm currently on 10 milligrams of lisnopril a day for high blood pressure i have 180 days of supplies for them and in the event of a shortage due to unforeseen events how would one wean themselves off of this without causing a shock to the system i'm down from 20 milligrams a day after quitting smoking and currently losing weight from 252 down to 219 at the moment Congratulations, Marcus. Marcus, lisnopril is used to treat high blood pressure, hypertension, and works by blocking a substance in the body that causes blood vessels to tighten, increasing the pressure. High blood pressure adds strain to the workload of the heart and arteries, and if uncontrolled, may result in a stroke, heart failure, or kidney failure. As a result of lisnopril relaxing blood vessels, this lowers blood pressure and increases the supply of blood and oxygen to the heart. Since you have a limited supply of medicine, you're doing the right thing by quitting smoking and losing weight. Both of these strategies will lower blood pressure and the need for as much lisnopril as you currently take them, or perhaps none at all over time. One study actually showed a weight loss of only 9 pounds lowered blood pressure by an average of about 5 millimeters of mercury, and the diastolic, that's the upper number, and the diastolic by about 3. More weight loss lowered it even more. In a survival setting, you can expect your weight loss to continue, so that's not a bad thing, at least from the standpoint of your blood pressure. As for weaning off the medicine, lisnopril can be found in 5 mg dosages, so there's potential for fine adjustments of the dose. Using a diuretic in combination with a lower dose of lisnopril might extend the life of your supply. A drug like hydrochlorothiazide, HCTZ, 12.5 mg, Something that pharmacies at public grocery stores down here in Florida, by the way, give away free with a doctor's prescription, 90 days worth at least, might be a good choice. Of course, adding this medicine to your current therapy is something you should discuss with your personal physician, not some old retired country doctor. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. hey <laughs> oh look at that we got actually a, a word from the beautiful lady. hey besides getting a copy of our survival medicine handbook don't forget to check out our entire line of medical kits and other supplies at store.doomandbloom.net i promise you you will be glad you did and don't forget that the member support brigade gets a discount on anything at our store at store.doomandbloom.net plus sign up for our survival medicine newsletter on our website for special savings on important items thanks again Good stuff from Doc Bones, and I I guess
1: I would add to that just from some conversations I've had with people that if you have very mild high blood pressure and your doctor is talking to you about going on blood pressure medication for it, um, you may not need to at all. I mean, lifestyle changes and things like that can help a lot. I think sometimes what they call high blood pressure really isn't that high. I don't think everybody has an exact average. And I think it it makes a lot of sense to check your own blood pressure at home, get a a good uh, blood pressure cuff, because some people actually just have a little bit of anxiety um, in uh, in a medical office. And if that's you, being elevated 10, even 20 points while having your blood pressure taken is not out of this world. Uh, I've seen it I, I've seen a situation where my wife was having some chest pains and of course we went immediately to uh, to get some medical uh, assessment uh, but it really wasn't anything to do with her heart at all it was basically indigestion but she was worried and her blood pressure she always has like these really great blood pressure readings and her blood pressure reading looked quite elevated and it took the doctor saying listen you, there's nothing wrong with your heart there's nothing wrong with your heart you're, you're fine if you if you have the problem you think you do You'd be flat on your back after you described your last two days of activity to me or you 'd be in serious trouble one or the other, and uh, then she took her blood pressure again, it went down twenty points i 'm talking five minutes by removing the anxiety, so be sure before you do it and then the other thing is a lot of times like mild increase in blood pressure can be reduced only with a diuretic rather than a full on blood pressure medication. Think a lot about staying hydrated. Given our recent discussions here uh, with my issue, if uh, if you end up in that situation, though, with a Duretic. Uh But sometimes you don't need a aggressive uh, blood pressure med. Now, again, always discuss things with your doctor. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. I just thought I'd add that. Next, I have a question on fuel stabilizer
3: for Charles the Humble Mechanic. What's up, everybody? It's Charles from HumbleMechanic.com taking your car-related questions. This one comes from Jess. And Jess wants to know about Fuel Stabilizer and if PRI brand fuel treatment is worth the upcharge from the Stabil brand. When Jess is putting small equipment away for the season, like snowblowers, mowers, generators, etc., Jess will run them dry with fuel that's treated with Marine Stabil and then drain anything out of the fuel system, the tank and the bowl of the carburetor, and wants to know if PRI works better or if it's just snake oil. Snake oil is a term that I absolutely love the term and hate the thing behind it. So my initial reaction to that question is, man, if your stuff is working good, keep doing that and rock and roll and focus on something else. But it's kind of an interesting question. So I wanted to dive a little bit deeper. First, let's hit this price thing right away. When you break down the pricing difference between stable and PRI fuel treatments, the stable marine that Jess is using, it's really not that different. It's about a penny a gallon. Now, if you're treating a million gallons, well that over time's probably gonna add up. Or if you're the type of person that'll go 10 more blocks to save that one cent on fuel for your car, then keep doing that and keep using the one that's a little bit cheaper. For me, a penny a gallon's not something I'm gonna sweat too terribly much. Now as far as which one is better, which one does the most, you know, I don't think there's the black and white answer that so many people are looking for. You may have just where you are great performance with Stable Marine and me where I'm at in Central North Carolina I might have better performance with PRI but the only way you're going to really know is to try them for yourself the other thing depending on where you're at especially the generator you may just want to drag that out every other month even in the winter time or every month or whatever and run it, and load it up, and keep its legs stretched. I'm sure that's something we've all heard Jack talk about before. It's a lesson I had to learn the hard way, because I wasn't doing that, and ended up having to take the carburetor apart on the generator, clean it out really good, and put it back together. Not a huge deal, but not something you really want to have to do while the power's out. I also find products like this interesting, because people seem to have this weird devotion to one over the other, and guys, looking at the MSDS sheets of these products, They're really close. They're both made up of petroleum distillates, which is basically a solvent. Think of mineral spirits and kerosene. And that's the majority of what the products are. And there's going to be other things in it. And, of course, I'm looking at a picture of the Stabil Marine versus the Stabil Regular. One is an unnatural bluish green color. The other one is like that reddish pink and PRI looks like it's the color of iodine, which is probably the most true to color of what it's made of. You can actually go way deep into the chemistry of these two products and get more information than your brain probably wants to handle, but it is out there if you want to check it out. So Jess, it comes down to, I think your process is pretty good. I wouldn't really sweat this one too much one way or another. Bust that equipment out a couple of times a year when it's just sitting, fire it up and run it for a couple of minutes and then put it up, let it get up to temp. And on your generator, of course, plug something in and load it up a little bit. And if you do that, you probably won't have too much issue. In fact, I had a car that sat in the garage while I was working on it for about a year and a half. I did nothing to the fuel. I modified the car and then started it up and it fired the first time and drove perfect. You don't want to rely on that being the case. And yard equipment can be a lot more finicky. So whichever one of these two products you choose, I think you're going to be just fine. So good stuff, guys. Make sure you keep those car questions coming. If you want to see more of my stuff, head over to HumbleMechanic.com. TSP, Jack, have an awesome weekend, and I will talk to you guys again next time.
1: Great stuff from Charles, and I will endorse and uh, restate the concept, paraphrased. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If what you're doing works, keep doing it. Anyway, uh, next we have some get shit done life hacks from Nicole Awesome Sauce. Nicole, take it away.
4: Howdy, TSP. Nicole Sauce with Living Free in Tennessee here with a wild card. That's right. Jack threw me a wild card topic this week as he prepares for his vacation in Florida. What's a wild card, you ask? It's when I get to talk about whatever I want to, so I thought I'd share three things. Oh, wait, I mean three hacks, because that's the cool way to say it, right? To get shit done. So first, I want to give you a disclaimer. I go through cycles of getting a lot of things done. And then I drift into scatter time where I get a little bit of everything done and nothing done to completion. So what I'm really sharing with you today is uh, a strategy for reducing the shotgun time to a bare minimum in your life. Because I think multitasking is a myth. I think there are people who can switch from topic to topic quickly. But when you don't focus on the thing you are doing... And you focus on lots of things. You either do the thing less well or you just don't get anything done all the way. And I know that's true in my life. So maybe that's not how everybody is. That's how I am. So let's, let's jump in to the three get shit done hacks. Hack number one. Have. A set of overall strategic focuses. I mean, focus. I mean, whatever the word is. And by this, I don't mean a measurable, measurable goal that by December 23rd, this and that and that that I can measure will be done. I mean the areas where you need to focus and write them down. Write them down. Don't just do this for you. Do it for your family, right? Because your family is part of you. And so if let's say one of your goals, like one of my goals that are the areas that we can goals, foci focuses, the places where we focus is increasing our local ongoing stable income rather than being dependent on J-O-B-S, right? That's one of the big things we do. So we have that written down. I put it on the fridge. Sometimes I take it off the fridge and reword it or, and we are able to look back at that and, and think about Hey, are we moving down the road in that direction? And, you know, everybody's goals will be different or your areas of focus. But if you write down three, and there can only be three, if you have six, you need to prioritize the three. If you write them down and you look at them and you think about that at least once a week, it really helps you when you're choosing whether to go out and spend time with the aquaponics system or record an expert counsel segment for Jack, right? It helps you decide, okay, you know, I've got one is income for me. One is keeping ourselves healthy. And one is, uh, taking care of the little things is our third one. So, and, you know, if that means something to us, it may not mean something to you. So, you know, going out to the aquaponics system may be uh, good for my health to watch the little fishies swim around, right? So I have to decide, is it is it, you know, promoting these practices to y'all or is it going out to play with the fishies? Okay. Anyway, so if you have those in place, the way you use them is you evaluate your progress towards the goals and... I keep calling them goals instead of foci because I do use goals a lot in, in the wrong way in this case. Um, but if you focus on your strategies, then you're able to remind yourself not to get hung up in the bull crap that's in your life. Cause like I, like right now there's a lot of external bull crap in my life and I'm able to just shut it off, like with my choir there's a bunch of stuff going on. I sit on their board. It's a dramatic board. Sometimes it's been dramatic. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything for the board because that's not helping me get towards my goal of, you know, having more local income. So why am I worried about it? That really helps you cut a lot of the mess so that when you're shooting those bullets, you're shooting bullets rather than shotgun shells. Okay. Hack number two, the morning focus on creativity. This is something that Depending on where you are, you may have to change the time of day, but if you decide on a a set amount of time that you're going to do every day or a certain number of days a week where you focus on those tasks that are important rather than urgent, that require some creative time, that helps you knock out a whole bunch of stuff. What's an example of that? Well, I do a lot of web development, right? And every time we build a new site, there's this time it takes an hour or two to think about what from this person's businesses goes on the homepage. How might we structure this? And it's you know you can be formulaic about that stuff, but sometimes it's better to step back and say you know how are we arranging this? That that's what I would call a creative activity, and that's important when you have clients, right? Well, there's another another thing that I do, which is a podcast and coffee business. You guys know about all of that, right? So in order to keep the marketing and promotions going, things need to be written. I have a recipe of the week in my membership portal. I have a book that's underway. I like have all of these things going on in the background that if they don't get dedicated time, they get deprioritized because it's much more important to make sure those coffee orders go out. Fulfilling coffee orders, is it, it has to be done, right? But it's not a creative thing. So what, what we've done here is set a time of day where it's the no interruptus Nicola's time, right? So I, I do it four days a week because I always know one day is going to get derailed by something. Yesterday, it was a vet appointment for three dogs, which is a total goat circus. But I set the timer. I do an hour at a time. I have a list of things that are important in the long term and I focus on them and I get those things done. And I always choose something that's more of a creative thing because in the morning, the brain for me is more creative. Now you may be an evening creative person. You can do it at night. That's great. I find after a long night's sleep, that's when my brain more easily does the things that are not just like, you know, print the labels, roast the coffee, send it off, that sort of thing. So that's hack number two. Hack number three is the number 3. You are biologically programmed to track things in threes. So, if you're going to set up what you need to GSD for the day, it cannot be more than three things, right? Otherwise, you're you're like going against how you are biologically programmed in your brain. So, I always ask when somebody's having a hard time, I ask, "Hey, What are your three things today? What are the three things you're going to get done? And they say like six things. And I say, no, what are your three things? There can only be three because your brain can't handle more than three. And then they'll usually list them and they'll usually get two of them done the first time because you also have to learn how to do that, right? But I do, I list three things and these are not necessarily my three creative things, although I usually include one creative thing, but it might be for me getting the coffee orders done getting the laundry done because, you know, if your home's a mess, then how can you run a business? And, um, you know, making sure that my expert counsel segment gets to Jack. Th- those might be my three things. Now, does that mean those are the only three things I do? No. I get other things done, but I am successful if those three things get done because they're moving the ball forward. This is what I call the do or die list. And if, if you have something really big, like build trellising for your aquaponics system on a Saturday or something, then it's okay to just have one. Um The other thing about the three things, I usually put one poopy, pa- poopy face three things on my list a couple times a week. And what I mean by that is the stuff I don't want to do. Because the stuff I don't want to do, I will put off and put off and put off as indicated by the fact I still have not filed my tax return. And I start with the one that I want to do least. So this is, you know... For example, yesterday I got something done that was a horrible administrative task and I did it before writing the notes for this segment. The reason I did that is I, if I would have done the segment first, it would have taken me the rest of the day to do the tax prep work I needed to do yesterday. Right. So I did the tax prep first, got it done fairly quickly. Like I could have, you know, procrastinated that all day long. But instead, I did that, and my carrot was I got to write the notes for this segment, because this is fun, and taxes are not fun, because it is it it's, makes me think about how much of my time the government steals to fund causes I would never voluntarily support. Then again, that might be a different expert counsel question, right? Anyway, TSP... Enjoy your coming time of Rewinds. It's always fun to see what Jack chooses while he's on vacation. And Jack, I hope your vacation is wonderful and relaxing so you can jump back into your show with renewed vigor. Okay, guys, make it a great week.
1: I agree with all that, and I'm going to second the concept of when you have something you don't want to do, do it first. And maybe not every day. Because if you do that every day, then... You know your day becomes doldrums and misery and you're unhappy. But at least a few times a week, you have to take the things that you really need to do that you really don't want to do and make them the most important priority that day. And you'll find that you get them done rather quickly and you get them done good enough. Maybe not perfectly, but good enough. With some exceptions, when I was in sales, part of my job was cold calling. There's nothing that sucks ass more than cold calling. Cold calling is the shittiest thing that you can do in sales. Pick up the phone, calling people, talking to their PAs, blah, 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 blah. Can I talk? No. Tell them I died, that type of thing. You idiot, why do you keep calling here? Because I'm going to get fired if I don't. Well, I'm going to keep telling you no. Well, I'm going to keep calling until you put me through to talk to them, that type of thing. Um, but it is the it is the primer that throws the prospect in the funnel that results in the entire process whereby uh, if you, you contact a thousand people, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty will become clients and those fifty make your number for the, the year. Okay? That's 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 the reality of how it works. So when I was in sales and I had to cold call, I would go to my office, I would close and lock the door. You know, Nicole is non botherous or something, Nicole calling like, Jack is stay the hell away from us, you know, time. And uh, literally, don't don't come near me. Don't talk to me. i got to get this done. And if you have something that has to be done daily that's like that, blocking off a time for it and doing it in that particular time set is one of the most valuable things you can do because you'll find yourself being so much more productive. Because what you find when you don't do it is you keep thinking about the fact that you need to do it you don't want to do it and you keep finding ways to avoid doing it. And then even when you're doing something else productive, you're not as productive with it as you could be because you're also thinking about this thing that you have to do that you don't want to do. So good stuff from Nicole. Next up, I I, I was going to have a segment from Keith Snow for you on making salsa, um, but there was something wrong with that recording. So uh, I'm going to sub in his other response he did for me this week, uh, this one on stuffed zucchini. So we're going to go ahead and uh, take a
5: listen to that. Hey, Chef Keith Snow with HarvestEating.com and Food Storage Feast. Wanted to talk a little bit about zucchini. I recently got a question uh, from somebody who's growing some zucchini down in the Georgia region. And uh, as you know, zucchinis and squash, for that matter, they come fast and furious. So uh, the person was looking for some uh, recipes. And there are dozens of things that you can do with uh, zucchini. But I wanted to... Give you an idea of, of one of my uh, kind of old favorites, and that is um, stuffed zucchini. There's not that much um, that's tricky about this, but you need to get the um, innards out of the zucchini. Now, so you want these to be, I would say, around you know eight to ten inches um, long, and that's that's one that's going to be not good for some other things, but it's definitely going to be good for this recipe. So what you want to do is take them and, like I said, my mom would take them and parboil them so she'd have boiling water unsalted and she'd put them in there for, you know, 15 minutes or so and then remove them and allow them to cool. Now, I like to steam them, so I'll steam them about 15 to 18 minutes, and you just need to test it, you know, with the tip of a knife. Now, there's a fine line between the thing just falling apart into mush or it still being hard as a rock. So I'm not going to tell you, I mean, depending upon how much water you have, how big the zucchini is, there's no way for me to tell you, you know, right to the minute. You need to be cooking. That's what it means when you say cooking. You're in there figuring it out a bit on your own. So you want it to be just yielding and tender, um, and then what you're going to do is take them out of the steamer, or if you want to boil them in water, that's fine too. Let them cool off on the counter. You're not going to be able to handle them for a good long time, and trust me on this because I've tried to, uh, oh, it feels a little bit cool on the outside. You cut it open, and all of a sudden those, you know, lava hot juices on the inside burn your hands. So let the thing cool off and promise you it's going to be easier to work with. You know, maybe it takes 30 minutes or so. And then what you want to do is um, keep the stem end on. You should have a little bit of the stem end. So you're going to slice this thing um, in half lengthwise. In other words, from the stem to the tail not horizontally. You're not cutting it in half. You're cutting it lengthwise. And if your zucchini happens to be a little bit twisted, place it on a board in a way that you're going to have two equal halves. Because if it's, you know, looking like a, a large letter C and you try to cut it in half, you're going to make a mess. So you would need to turn the C up, if that makes sense, and cut it straight down the middle, taking into account any bend in this zucchini. So once you do that, then what you're going to do is take a spoon. And if you happen to be blessed enough to have one of those little um grapefruit spoons, have you ever seen one of those? It's a little spoon, but it's got some teeth uh, on the very bottom of it. My parents used to have that because they used to uh eat citrus over the holidays, and they had a grapefruit spoon. But if you don't have that, any spoon will do. And you just want to go in, and you'll see quickly – where the wall of the zucchini ends and then the seed pocket and the mushy stuff in the middle begins. And you're going to carefully use that knife and just hollow it out inside. Now, you don't want to rupture the the, the wall of the vegetable. So go a little easy and you take that material out and set that aside. You don't want to throw that out. You're going to use that in your stuffing. So once you have them hollowed out, you can then put them into a baking dish and just put a little oil or cooking spray, whatever you're comfortable with, on the bottom so they don't stick. Um, You could also put them in... You could spray some tin foil and put them on heavy-duty foil as well. It doesn't really matter. So they're just going to sit there. You're going to season those pockets with a little bit of salt and pepper. So it's a zucchini that's hollowed out. It's empty. Season it a bit. Now you're going to make your stuffing. Now, you can go any direction here that you want. You could keep this vegan. You could go with meat. You could go with a lot of cheese, with no cheese, whatever you want. This is what I like to do. I'll take an onion, and I'll mince it up finely. This is not the place for big, dopey chunks of onion. So mince them up finely, or for those of you that cook, a brunoise would be nice, which is like a sixteenth of an inch. So little teeny minces, a couple of cloves of garlic, and then um, I think one of the best ways to do it, and this is the way Mom used to do it, is she would fry up about two or three strips of good quality bacon. Once the bacon rendered out the fat, she'd take the bacon out, and chop that up into pieces, add a little bit of butter to the bacon fat, and then in would go the onions and the garlic, and she would put um, a little bit of bell pepper, um, or you could just use roasted red peppers out of a jar. That's a nice thing to do. And you'll start to cook this, season up with salt and pepper. Now, here, again, you can cook. You can add some um, harvest-eating northern Italian, and if you stay tuned to the end, I'll show you, I can get a free bag of that. Or you could use some... Fresh basil, I mean, you could use just about anything. Some tarragon, parsley, whatever. But some herbage needs to go in there. You're gonna put in there the, um, uh, the diced red peppers. If you don't like red peppers, you could just mince up a small tomato and put that in there. And then, um, that's, you get to the point where you need to decide, do I want to put cheese in there or not? Now, I would recommend either some good quality Parmesan cheese, And if you happen to be uh, a vegan, you could go and check out my Umami Mia vegan Parmesan cheese, and that's good for paleo people because it's made with nuts and spices, so it has no dairy in it. That's an option. Or just use the real, you know, Parmigiano-Reggiano, which is the best anyway. So once it's all sautéed up and soft, you don't really want to put a ton of color on it. You take it out and put it in a bowl. You're going to allow this to cool down a bit. That's when I would add the cheese. You're going to season this up with salt and pepper. And you should have something that's relatively, it's not going to be soupy, it should be relatively thick and ready to stuff into the zucchinis. Let it cool off a little bit and then mix it all together well and then stuff the zucchinis with it. And then you can even, uh, mom used to make a cheese sauce, which uh, for you chef types, it'd be like a Mornay sauce, like a bechamel sauce, and she would put... um cheese in that to make a cheese sauce. You could put that over the top when it comes out. Or what I like to do is I'll take just some good, high-quality Gruyere or a sharp cheddar, not not craft Singles, people, and you'll put some of that on top. And remember, everything is already cooked. And this is where you want to think about the fact that you don't boil the zucchini or steam it to death because it's now going to go into the oven for about 25 minutes, too. So if it's a little... Um, tough little yielding that's a good thing stuff it put some cheese on it remember you mix that minced up bacon in there too and then you put it into a 375 degree oven you don't want a slow oven you want a really hot oven you can put like i said some shredded cheese on top put it in there 25 minutes take it out Um, these you're going to want to let cool a bit because trust me if you try to eat them um out of the out of the oven within a few minutes you're going to sear your tongue so let them cool off a bit now these are amazing sitting next to a steak a piece of grilled chicken uh, there's any way to serve these and uh you're going to love it so that is a recipe for um, stuffed zucchini and by the way I have a nice video showing exactly how to do this that I hope Jack is going to post up in the show notes For this episode of the Survival Podcast, you can click over to that video, the recipes there, and uh, and the video. Now, on to the spices. Those of you that want to um, give a try to my Harvest Eating Northern Italian, I am interested in giving you a free pack. You just need to visit the website tryharvesteating.com. And then there's a just a little two-step process to go through, and we will send you a full-size packet of, um, I think that's our bestseller, The Northern Italian. So do that, and I hope everybody has a great weekend, and uh, let's hope Jack's having a good time on vacation. Take care, everyone. See you. Next up on the
1: uh, subject of cooking, we have a question for Gary Collins on feeding a lot of people on paleo on the cheap. Gary, what are your thoughts?
6: Hey everyone, this is Gary Collins, creator of the Simple Life book series and the simplelifenow.com website. And today about feeding people healthy um in large groups, especially trying to if you're a paleo follower. Well, the advice I would give you on this as far as feeding them and and making it economical and not spending a fortune is that when trying to feed large groups of people and make it healthy, I don't necessarily think that trying to feed them strict paleo or all paleo is is really reasonable. When when I feed large groups, I kind of cater to that group in a way. And I'm not sure if this is the case if this whole group could be paleo and strict paleo. I don't know, but I'm guessing not. So the cheapest way into getting healthy food is actually if there's a Trader Joe's around you, and I know for some people that is not going to happen. Trader Joe's has grass-fed beef, um, some steaks, New Zealand grass-fed steaks that are like 10 bucks and feed two people. The grass-fed hamburger is really cheap. They have family packs of organic chicken that feed three to four people. And on average, that family pack is nine to $12. You can get a boneless, skinless chicken breast. Uh, the family pack is bone in, uh, has, uh, two large breasts and Four drumsticks, if I remember right. And all have skin on them. So, except for the skinless chicken breasts. And they have chicken thighs, which are one of my favorites. Uh, they're really good and really cheap. The, the drumsticks are super cheap. I want to say for eight, it's like four bucks, somewhere around there. So you could feed a fairly large group of people. And I would recommend chicken. If you got to pick one meat, chicken's going to be the cheapest, but hamburger, chicken, pork pretty basic and now for the sides is sweet potato you can get a bag of five pound bag of sweet potatoes for i think they're around four or five bucks at trader joe's that's organic um i know it's tough if you're not around at trader joe's that's going to make it much more difficult costco has some meat and i know it's kind of hit or miss sometimes um But that's the cheapest as it gets. If you've got to go to your local chain store grocer and, you know, you know, like a a Safeway or, uh, you know, an Albertsons, it's, it's gonna Smith's. It's gonna be pricey. Uh, the organic and grass fed stuff is, is pretty hefty. So there's no real way around that. Now, if you don't mind, if you're going in, you know, larger groups, you know, skip Skip the organic, grass-fed, and you know, but you know, you can stick more on the the paleo side. So you know, stuff even the organic stuff. Broccoli, you know, get big bags of broccoli, bags of carrots, um, you know, boil them up, soften them, or you can just serve them raw. You know, it's it's pretty basic. Sweet potatoes again are an easy one, and don't be afraid of white rice. Um or rice in general. Rice every once in a while is not gonna kill you. I I'm gonna tell you guys, I eat rice from on occasion and I like it. So it's not gonna kill you. Especially white rice is one of those kind of even though it's a grain, it's kind of a gray area in a lot of paleo folks because it really doesn't cause most people any problems. But remember it is a starchy carbohydrate which turns to sugar. And if you guys listen to my interview with Jack, uh, this week, we talk about that. So I think those are some good alternatives. Uh, you know, when it comes to ground hamburger, grass fed hamburger, it can get pricey, but it's cheaper than most meat. And I would stick along those. I mean, you know, and they also make, uh, they've come out with these, uh, coconut tortilla chips. There's one brand that it literally tastes just like tortilla chips corn tortilla chips and of course right now i cannot think of the name it's escaping me i've eaten them and they're great uh but look up if you look up grain grain free coconut tortilla chips there's only two companies that will come up but there's a ton of great alternatives keep it simple Hey, the simple life. And Paleo, when done right, is actually pretty straightforward and simple. So I hope that helps. Um, if there's not a Trader Joe's around you, like I said, you know, do the best you can with what you, what you think's reasonable price wise. But I'd say Trader Joe's, you can feed a good, pretty fairly large group of people for about a hundred bucks. So I hope that helps. And if you got any comments, shoot them in the section, uh, comment section and you guys know how to get a hold of me on my website.
1: You know, I I, I take this question to be large group, like 15, 20, 25, 30, like a big event type thing, not something you're doing on a daily basis. If you're doing it on a daily basis, you're going to have to work in more things and be more creative. If you're going to be doing this and you're doing this for like some kind of a workshop or get together, whatever, and you want to put on like a, a kind of like this is what paleo eating is like. You can let go of some of the free-range organic grass-fed here and there wherever you have to and try to stick more to a a low-carb approach to that. Most people that are on kind of a primal paleo lifestyle, if you're doing something for a group of people that kind of that's their thing, uh, they're usually not purists. They're usually not like the, and I hate to say this, but like the vegan community where I can't have this and I can't have that and I can't have this, in my experience anyway. So... The, the person would much rather have grass-fed beef than conventional beef, but if it's between beef and a baked potato, they'll eat the beef, and they won't bitch about it. They won't have a beef with the beef, right? So that would be one thing. And like one of the ways we try to do some of that here with our workshops, and we don't try to stay strict for their workshops because it is expensive, and not everybody coming is of that mindset. But you know, we do large cuts of meat barbecue style. That's That's the easiest way I know. You can get really high quality uh, pork. We we have a, a butcher shop. I have to drive out to Weatherford for it, but you know, check your local shops where they're you know these pigs are are pastured pigs, and uh, there you get pork shoulder for for very little money compared to you know buying it at, as a boutique item. If you're if you're willing to buy the big giant cut and put it through the smoker and take your time getting there, and salad. You know, the probably the best deal in uh, the organic, you know, natural world is salad, salad greens and stuff like that. Make a huge salad, plate that up with a, with a meat and maybe a vegetable side. Um, lots of different sides out there that you can do, and you can get creative with. Uh, and then soups are a great way to stretch things without having to go into a really starchy world. Uh, yesterday I took out four links of sausage. Now these are four links of sausage that I could probably just sit down and hammer and be done with in five minutes, uh, if I was really hungry, but certainly, you know, um, without having buns or anything, trying to stay paleo, I'm going to, I'm going to pound through four links of sausage, uh, where if, you know, you, you put them on a bun or something, maybe everybody's eating one or two. So, so how do you make that? I made a soup. And I went out on my property and I got some uh, different uh, peppers, a little bit of chili peppers and some things like that. Uh, made the, the soup base up with some uh, uh, veteran bullion, chicken stock base. And uh, used two little golden potatoes to kind of give some little bit of a starchy thing in there. But you're not it's not a lot. You could certainly omit those. But the main thing that I made up the bulk of the soup other than the meat with was Swiss chard. So, you know, anybody can grow Swiss chard in large quantities. It's one of the easiest plants, and I've grown it in Pennsylvania. I've grown it in Florida. I've grown it in Texas. That's pretty diverse as far as geographic region. And, I, you know, I let the leaves get really big for soups, and I'll cut the whole stalk down by the base, and I take those big ribs off, and I cut those up like celery, and I cut the leaves separately. And, and those, uh, those ribs go into a soup, uh, fairly early on, where they get to simmer about as long as the potato did. Again, you can emit the potato. And then right at the end, I mean, you turn the heat off, everything's done. You take all that ribboned up Swiss charred leaf and you throw that in there, and, and it, 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 you know, it kind of takes place of having some sort of a noodle or something in there. It tastes really good. Uh, if you have lamb's quarters growing around you, that's a fantastic green to include in a soup like that, and it's free. So, I mean, you know, keep in mind the whole primal paleo world is how our ancestors ate, and they got most of their food, you know, by going out and getting it. So that that kind of helps there, too. But soups definitely are a stretcher that can stretch something and make more out of less. And, you know, using things like carrots and celery and stuff like that, that'll that'll expand that. And yeah, there's some carbohydrate in there, but it's very minimal. And it has a lot of fiber to go along with it, and it's very nourishing and very filling. You know, hamburger could be used that way and and, and go toward kind of the Mexican taco world, and you could do that into a soup. And then with with beef, trying to keep the cost down on beef, talk to local producers. You will find that as expensive as a grass-fed piece of, um, you know, York strip is, if you're buying a quarter or a half beef from a local producer, you'll pay less for beef that way than buying it, you know, for, you know, from from a store or or what have you for a conventional. So as long as you have the space, that's the way to go. And if you're feeding a lot of people, you know you end up with a lot of roasts and things like that that you can use to feed a lot of people. Now you've got grass fed beef. You're paying more in the neighborhood of five dollars a pound for it instead of twenty dollars a pound. So those are some things that I would add to that. Next up, uh, I have a uh, a Harris tirade in the best possible way. Uh, because our favorite battery charger is no more. It's gone. And so it's, it's caused Steve to go look for new options and come up with a complete, a uh, total amazing recommendation of products for the rechargeable batteries and battery backup world. And this one went longer than the 10 minutes I give these guys, but this is like a mini show in itself. So I gave Steve some leeway on this. He was nice enough to ask first, and I was good enough to give it to him. He does start out talking about how your weekend and it's Friday. It's not, but there's no way for him to have known when I was going to use this. I usually do use them on Friday. So uh, forgive that, and uh, with that, Steve, take it away.
7: Hi, this is Steve Harris calling in to answer your questions on the expert panel. And since Jack didn't say it, I'll say it's Friday, Friday, Friday. And I have a complete change in recommendations for you for AA batteries the world has changed our famous most loved and adored power x AA AAA 8 bay charger that charges all eight batteries for charging A AA, triple nickel metal hydride batteries in 2 hours is dead long live the king I cannot find them anymore. I can find a few of them on eBay. Uh, there was a version that charges in one hour. There's a version that charges in two hours. I like the two-hour one better a smaller wart. I have four of them. Jack has several of them. Everyone, it's been a fan favorite. But you guys have been emailing me, literally, like 16 emails, like, Steve, the PowerX charger's gone. What do I do? What do I do? Well, I have been playing uh, for the last several years with other USB, uh, sorry, well, other AA uh, chargers, and I'm going to tell you what to get now that the PowerX is gone. I very much want you to get the EBL Echo Baker Lima 40-minute iQuick Smart Battery Charger with USB port which means you are charging these via a USB cable. I have gone to almost all USB for portable power measures. No 12-volt, no 110. Everything goes to USB from something, and then it goes from USB to AA's to 18650s to phones to batteries to everything. It even comes with twenty three uh four twenty three hundred milliamp hour batteries, and it costs like twelve ninety nine I don't want you to buy one of these I want you to buy three of these four of these now, how fast do they charge it's called the forty minute. It charges one battery, one double a in forty minutes. It charges four AA batteries in 160 minutes, so two and a half hours. Compared to two hours for the Power X, okay, it's acceptable. It's a lot smaller. Only holds four batteries, but it's a lot smaller. Sometimes four batteries is all you need. You would put this on your carry-on with you when you travel. I guarantee it. So uh if you want to charge eight or 16 at, at once, buy four of them. Now this won't charge that quickly off your itty bitty dinky little USB charger. You are going to have to use the anchor chargers that I am recommending that I'll brief you about in a little bit. Since I am recommending the EBL charger, that means for certain applications, your daily use nickel metal hydride batteries, the ones for your remote control, uh, the ones for the stuff, your children's toys and everything else. I am recommending the EBL 2300 milliamp hour batteries. Uh, I don't remember if so these are like 1200 recharges. The end loops are 2100 recharges. I think the twenty three hundred EBLs are well. This says a twelve hundred anyway. It's a twelve hundred or more recharges, which is good. You, you you probably will never recharge them that many times, but they're very affordable. Sixteen of them are only twenty four bucks on Amazon. I'm going to give Jack links to everything so he can T-SPAS this for you on today's show page. Okay. So also there is the EBL twenty eight hundred battery which 16 of them are like $27. Now the thing is, for around the home, general purpose preparedness, the 2300s are probably going to be a better battery for you because in reality, it's a long story behind the internal cell structure and chemistry. The way a 2300 is structured versus a 2800 is probably going to be a better battery for you the same way the end loops are better than the end loops Pro for preparedness at home. Keep that in mind, preparedness at home. So there are EBL 2800s. So if you do need a higher capacity battery, let's say a battery you carry in your everyday carry flashlight, around the town everyday carry flashlight, not I'm flying out of town everyday carry flashlight, or an everyday carry item, the EVL 2800 might be a superior battery for you because it's giving you a little bit better energy. But you want those because you're out and about and you're portable. Now, I am also going to tell you the same thing for the Amazon Basics. No! Again, no! The Amazon Basics are not end-loop batteries relabeled. I guarantee you that. It's been asked over and over and over. I have many of the N Loop of sorry of the Amazon Basics batteries, like 48 of them. Okay, I've been testing them in my chargers and my testers and rechargers. They have been performing fine. You can get 16 of them for 25 bucks. Are these and the EBLs the ultimate preparedness battery compared to the N Loops? The answer is no, they aren't. The Panasonic N Loop with 10 years of usage, that, so they claim, pre-charged with solar energy, uh, and 2100 recharge cycles are still the gold standard for preparedness for AA and AAA nickel metal hydride batteries. However, 16 of these cost about $39 on Amazon. It's a balance, guys. If you wanted to keep 25% of your batteries, the end loops, or 33% of your batteries, your end loops, and get the cheaper EBL and Amazon Basics for just, like, everything you're using, I guarantee you they're going to save you money, okay? Between your remote controls and your children's toys, let the children play with a band, and you don't care, you'll recharge the EBLs and Amazon Basics, let them play, and... Keep the in-loops for your more flashlights and radios and your more preparedness-oriented type of stuff. Of course, along with Duracell AA alkaline batteries and Energizer lithium disposable AA batteries are the ultimate uh, most reliable battery in the entire friggin' world. So, but again, those are disposables. Again, the valve is like, i right, it's a long story. I only got so many minutes. So here we go. The end loop basics, batteries, good batteries. Now, if you were going over to a, a warfighter and you were going over to a forward operating base in the sandbox, I would tell you to take the Amazon basics with you because you're going to use them in your entertainment type devices and everything, you know, in your tent, in your hooch, ho- um, hutch, 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 hooch, hooch, hooch and you hooch at the forward operating base, that's fine. If you are a war fighter, if you're a secret agent, if you're a police officer, and you are going out, and a fireman and an emt and you're going out and you got your everyday carry flashlight on you and you got some weapon lights and you got some other critical things that you are going out with that you absolutely positively have to know it is fully 100 percent charged and ready to go and you want the maximum amount of energy possible you are going out with N loop pro batteries and these are, let's see, again, four double A's are going to be like 27 bucks. They are expensive, but they are the ultimate in reliability when it comes to a nickel metal hydride battery. And they're 2,550 milliamp hours, so they're going to give you more capacity. The thing is, when you go through a Harris Department of Defense level class, I give you, most of the guys before would go out with Energizer lithium batteries, like in their night optic devices, their night vision goggles. And then when they got back, they would throw them away and put new ones in. Well, that's because they didn't want to go... They didn't know how much... You can't look at a battery and see, like, really how much is in it. I can with some of the other devices that I'll tell you about. uh They'll tell you how much is in it, but you just can't, like, look at it like a bottle of water and go, oh, it's half full. So they throw them out, and when they go out on another mission, they put in new Energizer lithium AA disposable batteries. I convince them to, one, not believe me and do it themselves... To use the Panasonic M Loop Pro batteries over and over and over and over in their non-mission stuff until they go. God, these things work every single time. It's like a Camelback. Would you go out with a Camelback that was only half full? Would you fill it up once and then suck off it and you know and, and use it over multiple missions? No, you fill it up before you go out on every mission. Same thing with an N Loop Pro. You fill it up before you go out in every mission. That way you know it's full. Something takes a dump. You run out of charge. You switch over to the Energizer lithium disposable batteries to back up the N Loop Pros. So it's the reverse. Normally you think you'd use the lithium disposables as a primary, then the N Loop Pros as a secondary, but you don't. You do it the other way around because it's like filling up the camelback. It's full! I know it's full! I know it's gonna stay full! I know it's gonna work! You go out with those. So, I am advocating the M-Loop Pro for critical applications. Warfighter, police fighter, uh, firefighter type of applications where it is your main carry light and you are, your main carry device and you are dependent upon these batteries. Sorry, Jack, I'm going to bust 12 minutes. Please let me go. This is so jam-packed. In addition to the EBL AA charger, I want you to get another charger. It's only $9.95. It is made by the famous company Olight, O-L-I-G-H-T. It is the Olight portable universal, universal magnetic USB charger. Not only... it. It it only charges one battery at a time, guys. It's it got a USB port that you plug into a USB source, and it's got two little magnets. And it doesn't care if you put it on a AAA, on a AA, on an 18650, on a 14500, on a 2650. It doesn't care if you put it on a D cell nickel metal hydride. It doesn't even care about the polarity. It just starts charging the friggin' battery. It is absolutely awesome. It is your two is one, one is none. If you are traveling and you are carrying one or two EBL USB AA chargers with you, you carry one or two of the lights with you because they are so incredibly frickin' small and cheap and reliable. Yeah, you can only charge, well, actually, Steve Harris... I'll show you in a video someday how I can charge four batteries with the uh, Olight, but (laughs) it's a little trickery, but you can charge one battery at a time, which is better than being stuck with broken ones. Anyways, it's so small, it's I can't recommend it enough. I am also going to recommend that you upgrade and you get the iMUTO portable 30,000 milliamp Battery. It is a USB battery. It charges via USB ports. It will do quick charge 3.0, USB-C, and regular USB. It is fifty bucks. The version with only three USB ports, non-quick charge, non-USB-C, which are stories in themselves, uh, is only like forty-five bucks. With that, you can actually take the the double A chargers I'm talking about. It's like, God, I really need some triple A's for my GPS and you're in the field. You can recharge the triple A's for your GPS off of the iMuto battery. It is so awesome and I carry it and trust it everywhere for charging everything USB of course we are going to go with what Jack and I love the most that is the Anchor chargers I want you to get the Anchor quick charge 3.0 43.5 watt 4 port USB wall charger It's got flip out prongs, it works on 240 or 120, and it's got four USB outputs on it, it's compact, and one of them is quick charge. There is another version of this that's not quick charge that I want you to get for a cigarette lighter, and there's another version that has USB-C and quick charge, and it's also USB-C PD, which I gotta give you a whole lecture on in the future. Uh, it is uh, $29 via Amazon, again links to it in TSPAS that's about it guys I ran over my time limit, thanks for the allowance Jack, we're cutting this off in 15 get all my stuff at stephen1234.com and of course email me with any questions I will get you taken care of that's it for the new stuff for double A's and recharging thank you
1: And, folks, I have uh, links to every single thing that Steve mentioned in the show notes. There's a whole segment that says Steve's Battery Links that's just separate from all the other links and resources for today's show just to consolidate them in one place and make them easy to find. And that was an amazing segment by Steve, and I I thank him a great deal for doing that. Y'all should know he uh, had a pretty bad spill on a bike riding accident and uh, was still able to get that done during recovery. So I, I really doubly appreciate him doing that for us. So let's get into uh, the question that I have pulled out for myself this week. Um, this is on guns, which I, I like talking about guns. So this one comes from uh, John, and John uh, sends me a link uh, to Kimber America uh, for a gun called Camp Guard, which is a 10-millimeter on a 1911 platform, and yeah, uh, you, you know, I can understand why you'd want one, John. I mean, it's a 1911, so you, of course you want it. And it's a 10 millimeter, so of course you want it. Two of them together—that's just that's just beautiful. But the question isn't about that gun. Uh, the question is, any ideas on a 10-millimeter lever gun background? I really like the new Kimber Camp 10 pistol. I was thinking of pairing it with a rifle. Have you ever heard of a 10-millimeter lever action? And, of course, the link to this beautiful 1911. And Kimber makes just some beautiful guns as a whole. Uh, John, I, I did find you a way that you can get a 10-millimeter in a lever gun. I don't think you're going to like it, and I wouldn't spend my money to do it. If you do spend your money on it, I I, I would much, very much love to shoot it if we ever get to a place at the same time together where uh, it's acceptable to discharge firearms. I, I certainly wouldn't uh, talk bad about you for doing it, but I wouldn't spend my money this way. Here's why. That Kimber is going to set you back about fourteen, fifteen hundred bucks, 1500 and maybe more with some options added to it. Um, So then you're going to look to a Marlin lever gun. You're going to need to pick up a Marlin in 357 Magnum, 38 Special Combo, and then you're going to need to send that gun to a company called, and it's the only people I've found that will do this for you right now, is a company called Ranger Point Precision. And they're very good at what they do, and they do some really cool, really creative things with uh, conversions of... Uh, lever action guns and they will make you a 10 millimeter uh, lever gun out of that 357 marlin which you're going to spend somewhere between if it's used 500 bucks ish up to seven to eight hundred dollars on depending on where you buy it and and what have you uh, to get that and then when you send it to them they're going to want to check from you for 1800 dollars in addition to that so you're looking at 2100 2200 maybe $2,400 into this this lever action gun that's a $500, $600 gun by the time it's all said and done with. And when I look at it that way, I have a hard time, in my view, justifying the expense. I, I, I really do. Now, if you are just flushed with cash because you've been following Spearco protocols and that's just what you want to do and damn it, well, then you can go do that. And, and I've done a bunch of research on these people uh, at Ranger Point Precision, and, and these guys are solid. And your, your, your investment is in good hands, and if anything ain't right, they're going to make it right. And you will have a very unique gun. And it will have a certain amount of value to it, but I I just about imagine unless you find another person just like yourself who wants it now instead of wants to wait for it, you never get your money back out of it ever. And if anybody ever decides to start making, you know, if Winchester or Marlin or somebody decides to start making a lever gun in 10mm, then you really ain't getting your money out of it. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's stranded capital. So it's a lifetime purchase, or it's you know you're going to take a loss on it if you ever decide you don't want it anymore. And and I've really wanted some guns, and I've gone out and gotten them, and I've enjoyed them, and then I've said, you know what, I had my fun with that gun, and I'm ready to, you know, if it's not a real expensive gun, maybe gift it to somebody or I'm ready to sell it, and I've generally been able to sell guns for, for close to what I've paid for them. In some instances, I've been able to actually make a little money on a gun here and there when I've gotten good deals at a gun show and then you know sell it and, and, and be able to actually make a little money, trade it up or something like that to another gun. So I'm always thinking, well, what is this worth after I put my money in it and how much of a bath am I going to take? and and taking a $1,000 or more bath, which is what I think you would be doing, is not something I would do, but you could do it. I'd like to talk about some of the options that you have otherwise. One is you could go get a high point for a few hundred dollars and have a 10-millimeter carbine and have a 10-millimeter handgun. Now, I know pairing an ugly stormtrooper-looking a high point carbine with a beautiful Kimber 1911 may not be the, 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 what you were going for. Uh, but you would have a very functional, uh, tested, reasonably accurate as a carbine, 10 millimeter carbine, and it would cost you less than buying the Marlin before you had it converted. With a lifetime warranty and a company, High Point makes some ugly-ass, but ugly ghetto Glock pistols. I'll give you that, but they are a damn good company. They stand behind everything that they do, and if you if you if you if you do something stupid like you're driving through a field and you put the thing in the back of the truck and you forgot about it and it falls out and you drag it hung by a piece of baling wire, send them, they'll fix it. And you're talking about a gun under four hundred dollars. I mean again i i'd probably do that your other option you have you have three options that i found for you in carbines other than this expensive conversion one's is just as expensive but it's probably worth doing more uh, the next one's not as expensive it's the aero survival rifle the aero survival rifle the the the, uh, the receiver looks a lot like an ar15 style one big issue that i have with it is it's much smaller And I have a video, uh, in addition to a link where you can learn about the rifle itself, uh, but I have a video where Hickok45 reviewed it. He really liked it, but he did show how, like, your trigger control on it is not what it would be with an AR or most rifles. It's so small that you're going to be pulling the trigger with kind of the second joint on your trigger finger rather than the tip, which is a little bit off-putting to me, personally, um, but... It is what it is. Now, the advantage of the Aero Survival Rifle, it's about $100 more list price than your Marlin. There's a few used ones around out there. They're about the same price as a really nice used Marlin, like one that was never really used, but it's a second-owner gun, so it's going to come off $50, $60. Bucks, like $600, 629 650 I think is where I saw a couple of them. Uh, but they weren't in 10mm, but they're there. And the thing about the Aero Survival Rifle is, you can buy barrels for it, and they swap out. So now you have something that kind of looks cool. It does seem gone accurate for what it is. Uh, it has a lot of different options. They make them in forty. They make them in ten millimeter. They make them in I think three fifty seven. Uh, they make them in a bunch of different things, and they are now making them in 22, 22 magnum, and seventeen rim, uh, 17, uh, one of the seventeen fires. So you would have a platform, multi-barrel platform, and you could start out with a 10 millimeter with it. I would do that before I would pay $2,100 plus to have a Marlin that's converted. The next option, you're going to get up there like in the $1,800 range with this, but if you're going to spend that kind of money, then I want a way to get my money back. And one of the coolest firearms on the planet today is the Chris Vector. And Chris Vector makes a 10 millimeter carbine without the SBR type stuff, so there's no paperwork or nothing like that. 16-inch barrel, Chris Vector, 10 millimeter carbine will run you about $1,700 list price. So you probably get it for a little bit less. Now, all three of those options will, if you ever decide to sell, sell within you know 80% of what you paid for them, or if their prices continue to go up, eventually even selling for 10 to 20%, even 25% under the list, you may be able to get your money back 10 years from now. I don't think you'll ever get your money back on the converted Marlin. So those are the three options that I would look at. And if you really have your heart set on a lever gun, this may be a hard pill to swallow, but I would actually look toward going away from the ten millimeter. Because for a little bit more, just a little bit more than the Kimber Camp uh ten millimeter, you can get the Conan uh it's a real thing, Conan nineteen eleven in three fifty-seven Magnum. And there's a lot of options there. And you can end up spending, you know, three or four hundred dollars more for the Conan than the Kimber. And that may be a little bit of a hard pill to swallow at first, but if you really want lever gun 1911 and you want, you know, hunting level power, then the 357, we can go get us a brand new, you know, beautiful Marlin in 357 for $600 to $700. And our total price is almost $1,000 less. And now we have a 1911 paired up. With a lever gun. And the three fifty seven out of a rifle is... The three fifty seven out of a handgun is not the equal of the 10mm out of the handgun, but a three fifty seven out of a carbine, when I look at the actual real-world ballistics, you don't gain much over with the 10mm carbine. So the carbine itself has a hell of a, a capability out of the 357. Again, a couple of years ago, I shot a doe at about 108 yards, is I think what we pasted off, uh, with a 357 rifle. And it was a through and through both lungs, blew it, out shot. I mean, so they're, they're, the capability there is plenty. Now, I don't know what you want this thing for. You didn't tell me. You live in bear country, and 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 the rifle's just a nice thing to have with it. But the pistol's what you're going to carry more, and you're worried about a grizzly or a brown bear eating you. Then I understand why you want as much horsepower as you can get. And, and frankly, you know, I'd be I'd, I'd be looking at something like you know a BFR or something like that if that was me, honestly. Um, and then there is your other option, like your nuclear option, which is just if you really want a lever gun. Just carry two different ammunitions. You're not gonna end up in a survival situation where it's you against the world and, and what have you. And and your you know, your your classic pistol caliber carbine that is your your Thor's hammer uh in, in the eighteen ninety four Marlin is the forty four Magnum, which I own. And there's a lot of advantages to that cartridge in a lever gun. It is very mild on the recoil overall uh, compared to something like a lot of center fire uh, rifle rounds it is a heavy round so it does kind of have a thud a, 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 a it's got more pop than I think most people would think in a rifle but it's it's more of like a dead push than that sharp crack of something like you know a thirty thirty has to it so it's it's easy to shoot it's a straight walled rimmed cartridge it's it's stupid easy to reload uh you know a twenty dollar lee loader that fits in your pocket that you use a a a mallet or a block of wood with tap and stuff to reload for it uh will reload ammunition for you or you can get more sophisticated equipment if you want to uh they make it everybody makes it ammunition is available everywhere You know, so you're never going to have a hard time finding ammo. But I don't know if a 1911 shoots 44 Magnum. Somebody's going to ruin my day and send me one and make me want it Uh, because it's going to exist somewhere. But uh, that, if I wanted a lever gun for that type of scenario I just described, you know, bears wanting to eat me. uh, Well, first of all, I'd probably want a 338 LaPlua Magnum bolt action. But if I wanted a lever gun for it, you know, and I, and I insisted on it being a handgun round, I'd, I'd step up to the forty four. So depends on what you want to do with it. But I, I would look, if you really like the Kimber, and I understand why you do, I, I mean, I'd click the link and looked at it. and I went, oh, look at that. That's pretty, isn't it? Um, you know, look at the, the high point, the arrow, or, you know, step up into something like the Chris Vector. Uh, if you want to hunt with it, you know, your problem may be that you, you, you can't use a semi-auto. And 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 then I'm going to push you back toward look look at the Conan 357 1911 uh, is your 1911 and uh, and and look to just a, a Marlin and, and you know one thing I'll tell you all of you to be on the lookout for is the old like 50s and 60s pattern. Uh, Marlin in 357-38 Special before they put the stupid cross bolt safety and all that crap on them where safety was a half cock. And, uh, when you, they're, they're not that common to find, but when you do, it's weird. They're hard to find, but no one seems to want them. And, and you, sometimes they'll sell for $300. And they might be a little slicked up and could use some love and a lot of blue missing off them and a little bit of rust here and there. But, you know, they... The, the, that Ballard rifling that Marlin uses, the damn things shoot accurately for freaking ever. They function beautifully, and, you know, they don't make them like that anymore. Uh, so always be on the lookout for those older lever guns, especially in the .357 uh, and forty-four Magnum worlds. Uh, I, I had one in my hands I almost bought for my kid as a deer rifle. She's uh, I guess it would be, she's 28 now, so... He would be 18 uh, to, well, uh, 16, 16 years ago. 16 years ago, I stood in this little hardware store in upstate Pennsylvania with this old uh, 357 Marlin in my hand, and when I decided it wasn't the right deer rifle for him, I thought I should buy this for myself, and I didn't. And today, right now, this minute, I regret not buying that gun. So just, you know, keep that in mind when you're, you know, in old gun shops, and you're in, you know, pawn shops and gun shows and all that. You see one of those; it's it's worth picking up. It really is. You'll be me wishing you would have. <laughs> but I think if you uh, if if you if you spend twenty one hundred dollars to have a, a seven hundred dollar gun converted to ten millimeter, you'll probably be. Uh, me wishing you didn't, right? And, and some of the things I've, I've felt that way about. But it's up to you in the end. Again, I won't fault you for it, but you can do it if you want to. With that, uh, we've wrapped up the show, and uh, I don't have an item of the day for you, but do remember you can always help support the show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. T S P A Z.com. You'll find all the items that I've reviewed, and I really appreciate you doing that, and it really helps when you do. And we'll get to our song of the day. In an effort not to jack up any more of, I'm sorry, I'm already on vacation in my head, and this is the second show of the day, Uh, John Adams' uh, song list and his plans to make them work in two weeks and stuff like that, I decided since I'm going on vacation today and I'm going to the beach for 10 days that I would bring you a song that's all about that from my favorite guy in the world, Jimmy Buffett. And, and this song has no special deep meanings. I mean, Jimmy's got some deep poetic music. Now this is just the reality of getting the hell away and really changing your attitude by changing your latitude. It's changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes, and uh, my latitude is about to change, and I am really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to long walks on the beach with my wife. I'm looking forward to fishing. I'm looking forward to taking two different boat trips, uh, with, with with the bonus money that I earned on the Travis the vegan uh, vegan uh, bacon sale that was a hell of a lot of fun and uh, going out there and eating some BLTs on the boat bringing some big old fish in maybe clubbing one of them over the head having a little boatside side dock side Cervici in Travis's honor it's, 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 it's always fun to do this show I really enjoy myself but like all of us I need a break uh, I'm not quite there yet if you're listening to this right after it was published but Next morning, I'm heading out to those blue waters, changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes. And with that, this has been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
0: and all of the play.